0: This week on Holics, it's a surf and turf episode. First, we're diving into the latest DC Comics superhero flick, Aquaman.
1: If anything, it's more proof that genre filmmakers should be making these superhero movies. I think they just kind of get how to handle that pulpiness.
0: Plus, Haley Steinfeld and John Cena star in the latest Transformers film, but this one is a bit different because it's a prequel set in the 80s, and it's all about Bumblebee. I, I, I guess it's weird to say that I want a little bit more from a Transformers movie. Later in the show, you're going to hear reviews for several other films, including a new documentary from Peter Jackson titled, They Shall Not Grow Old.
1: It's really effective as far as getting you immersed into this like footage that's literally from 100 years
0: ago. And we have a better late than never review of the period drama, Mary Queen of Scots, starring Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie. This one really did feel like a mini series that was condensed to two hours. All that and more is coming up on Cinema Welcome once again to Cinema Holics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend and he also reviews films for the Playlist Cut from Film and many more. It's Will Ashton. Hey, John. How are you doing?
1: I'm okay. How are you doing, John?
0: It's early and I'm loving it. Oh, and. I am the author of the novel, Killer Joy, a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory. And, well, I just recently started a new writing gig. Uh, I'm now writing for Adam Tickets. so there's Oh, some yeah. Cool
1: Congrats. Yeah.
0: And I'm John Negroni. So you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com. And you can support our show by becoming one of our patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And exclusively for our patrons, we are doing a holiday giveaway. So all you have to do to enter this giveaway, you can receive a Blu-ray or a digital release of your choice if you win, by the way. So you have to guess our top 10 films of the year. So Will and I are working on our top 10 films of the year. We don't even know what they are yet. Yeah. But people are already guessing, so that's good. Wow, really? They are. They're going for it. So, Can you
1: um, send me some of those? I'm very curious to see what people are thinking.
0: I I don't want to send it to you because I haven't looked at them myself.
1: Oh, I see. You want them polluting our actual list.
0: Exactly. So I've received your submissions, all of you. We have them safely secured in a lockbox far away from Cinemaholics headquarters so that no one can peek into them. But yeah, all you have to do to win is you have to get the closest to guessing our favorite films of the year. Whoever gets the best guesses is going to win. Again, that's a Blu-ray or a digital release of your choice from 2018, uh, a film that you really love this year. Maybe would be your favorite. And at some point, Will, we need to talk about, because that's a future episode of the show, probably coming in January. What our what our cinemaholics favorite of the year is last year it was it's it was a uh, Briggs Bear of course mm-hmm. so this year what what was the film that united you and me and a lot of our other guests on the show uh, I don't know what it is
1: I really don't think we have one I think we were very uh, this year's lists are going to be very much more divisive I think than last year's
0: that's probably just true. based
1: on uh, at least my list I know there are going to be several films on my list that are just going to make you mad so I'm I'm eager to see what is our actual bonding film
0: Well I think there I know there is one film on your list that I have not seen and I'm planning Mandy. to see it over the course of the next week. Yeah, we're giving a nice little tease for the listeners there, but yes. Um I don't think it's a surprise that uh, to any of our listeners who are devoted that you love that film. So
1: yeah, I would, why don't you just watch it on Christmas, see what happens.
0: <laughs> Maybe that'll be the plan. I definitely can't watch it on the plane for when I'm doing my holiday travel, but that would be something. No, don't try watch it on the plane. No, <laughs> I'm going to watch it, it on a movie. key fob, of course, just like right yeah. after Roma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. That is our giveaway again. It's, it's just for our monthly patrons on Patreon. You can go to our show notes to find our Patreon if you want to get involved with this and you can check out what you can do to become a supporter of this podcast. All right, we're doing a double feature review this week. That means we're covering two big films and giving them about equal time for this review. And we both saw them, of course. One of this week's wide releases was Mary Poppins Returns, but Will and I recorded a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics to review that film with special guest Alicia Grasso. It's out right now, and it was a pretty fun conversation. I'm glad we did that episode Mm -hmm. review separately because now we, yeah, definitely. Devote, we devote even more time to Aquaman and Bumblebee Uh huh. right well do you want to tell the listeners what you thought of Vox Lux very quickly before we get into <laughs> our big review
1: man you just want to open up that can of worms before we get into the main episode I guess yeah just, just um, a little bit I guess so yeah I, I really liked Vox Lux I was uh in stark uh comparison to John's opinion of the film and Which um
0: very very negative negative.
1: Yeah, I I found it way more compelling than most movies I've seen this year and has stuck with me uh, more than pretty much anything else I've seen this year, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a film that has stirred a lot in me, and I can see why it's divisive. I mean, it definitely is not a film that plays it safe by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what I like about it so much. And I know Sam Nolan, a friend of the podcast, really liked it as well. So I have at least one person in my corner when we have our uh, boxing match to (laughs) determine what is the right opinion on this film.
0: Right, I don't think there can be a right opinion uh, except I do want to say I have been listening to the soundtrack because when I want when I saw Fox Lux all I wanted was uh Druggy, the song from the soundtrack. It uh, was the scores by Scott Walker and great did score, some yeah. of the original songs. And Druggy is such a great song from the soundtrack. I highly recommend that instead of the movie, but uh you know, you can either listen but, to Will or myself, go for whoever you want to agree with.
1: I can't even imagine like listening to the, the, the soundtrack without watching the film. Mm. But I mean, you can, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but I would not recommend that. Well, the soundtrack
0: is the main reason I wanted to watch the film in the first place, because I thought it would just be that music as Natalie Portman would yell at Jude Law for about two hours, which was not exactly what I got. Maybe that's why I was so disappointed.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I would have liked that film, but maybe we just wanted something different. I don't know.
0: I think that's true for a lot of films but let's see sure. if that's true for Aquaman uh, that's our first film and uh, here really quickly is a clip of the movie since we did, we played part of the trailer last week when Will you briefly reviewed it here's here's a whole clip
1: your half-brother King Orm is about to declare war upon the surface world billions will die we must stop him
0: and how do you propose we do that?
1: You are the firstborn son of Queen Atlanta. The only way to stop this war
0: is for you to take your rightful place as king. Trust me, I am no king. All right, that clip is from a scene pretty early on in Aquaman. Aquaman was directed by James Wan and it stars Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, Patrick Wilson, and Willem Dafoe. So Jason Momoa's take on the character has appeared in two previous films we've seen from Warner Brothers already. He had a brief cameo in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which came out two years ago. He also showed up as an ensemble role in last year's Justice League. And this new film has him in the lead this time. Uh, The story here takes place in undetermined amount of time after the events of Justice League. And, you know, I actually wasn't sure if this movie was after or before right. Justice League <laughs> until one of the characters, I, I think it was pretty sure it was Mira, who's played by Amber Heard, made a specific reference to the events of Justice League and the villain from that film, and it which was funny because otherwise the film basically pretends like Justice League didn't happen, I think is fair to say.
1: Well, I just think it knew not to, like, burden itself with the... Um, the DCEU because I don't think they know exactly where that stands. I don't know if they're going to keep at that or just kind of hope that they can salvage bits and pieces of it and just go from there. So that's what my guess was.
0: That's a good guess. I, I think that probably if that was their call, it was the right call to make because uh, Justice League wasn't very widely seen. And I have a feeling Aquaman is going to be much more successful financially, but that. Is yet to be seen. So
1: weird that this movie feels way more big and expensive than Justice League was.
0: Hmm. Definitely bolder and a bit more audacious, too, in a lot of sure. ways. So, Will Ashen, you already reviewed this film for us on last week's show, but you didn't go into too much detail. Now we're going to be able to really dive in. So I'm going to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You knew I was going to go there. So I'm going to share my thoughts uh, in just a moment and we can remind everyone what you thought of the film and everything like that. And then we can move on to Bumblebee. But first, I mean, for those who didn't catch last week's episode, for whatever reason, they're working on it. Maybe they listen in reverse chronological order to these episodes. What is the brief summary of your thoughts on Aquaman?
1: Sure. It's, uh, I think it's a mixed bag. I don't think it is by any means a fluid film, mm-hmm. but I think, um, it's fun for what it is. So it doesn't I flow know. is what you're saying? No, it does not. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot. It's a big film in many ways. I think it's also kind of like Mary Poppins, a little exhausting by the end. But I think I enjoyed the ride maybe a little more this time because I wasn't really expecting to know. Like I don't know if I was expecting to like it in any measure because I saw it before, like the reviews were really starting to come in. So I was just like, well, let's, I hope this is good. And I definitely enjoyed like the first like hour or so. I think if they had cut out maybe 45 minutes of the film and not made it so bloated, it would be a better film by every imaginable standard. But I think it's a big epic, uh, over the top, you know, loud and pretty much every measure type of blockbuster. It's fun. I enjoyed it certainly more than some of the past DC films we've gotten. And I like that it's very much like a filmmaker making a superhero movie again, kind of, it reminded me in in a good way of some of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. So I liked it overall. I think it's messy and lumpy and clunky, but I had fun for what it was.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely went into it, not expecting it to feel quite as long as it was. I'm right there with you with wishing this one maybe had, you know, shaved off about 45 minutes or so to an hour. It's just by the time that we get to the climax of it all and the action, which is interesting and dynamic and fun to watch, it it did sort of lose me at that point. I started to get a little weary from the, the experience because it is, like you said last week briefly, it's so much Aquaman. And if you are a fan of Aquaman, I see this going over really well with Aquaman fans, by the way. Because yeah. there were a lot of them in my theater. I don't know how packed your screening was, but.
1: Uh, mine was a press screening, so not very packed.
0: Okay. So it was, I saw this at one of one of the advanced screenings, but it was one of the ones where it, it was through Adam tickets, actually. Oh, and okay. And Amazon. So if you were an Amazon Prime member, you were able to get some advanced tickets on this film. So a lot of people were able to go see this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I shouldn't say a couple, I guess it was like a week and a half or whatever, or Actually, no. It was one week ago today. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, it was right after we talked. We talked about Aquaman. I, I saw the film, so I was I was very prepared. Will Ashton, thanks to you. Sure. And uh, yeah, I, I, I I'm kind of right there with you on this. I, I don't think we differ too much. I, I'm not sure. I think the people watching this who really love it, I think, are just fully embracing the insanity of it and the grand scale of it. Sure. Because there really aren't too many things in here to criticize, except for things that we usually criticize superhero films for. Uh, I would say, okay, it 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 is pretty reminiscent of some of the early Marvel films, and I would say, and I'm talking about you know the first Spider-Man, the first Fantastic Four. It's got a lot of Thor DNA in here, which is kind of Thor. It's kind of inescapable considering the subject matter, you know, and you can kind of pick out parts of like, oh well you know, Arthur Curry is basically Killmonger, but the good guy this time. And, and there's all kinds of little things like that you can pick out of this. My my main criticism with this film, honestly, as much as I like Momoa, I think Momoa has charisma that's a bit understated in Hollywood at the moment. And I think that this is going to open a lot of doors for him, thankfully. I, I don't think the script really gives him a... Well-rounded character here. I, I don't. No, it does not. <laughs> I don't think he really develops. He doesn't really change too much. He's an archetype of the reluctant hero, which is great because that's what Aquaman needs to be. He he doesn't want to be king. That's why he should be king, right? Uh, very very standard storytelling, and you can make a really compelling story out of Arthurian legends. They even call out the, his connection to King Arthur and, and all of that business. And the trappings around him are very interesting. And there, there's some decent chemistry there between him and Amber Heard's character. And I, I was very impressed with what those performers were able to dig out of a script like this. But no, they, really, there really isn't drama with him in the ways that I think would have been really nice. He's a bit of a cipher. you know. It, it, again, to compare it to Black Panther, where in Black Panther you have a similar kind of story where the superhero is like trying to be the king of an entire nation. And what was interesting about Black Panther was you had Chadwick Boseman's character in that T'Challa trying to understand like what was the best way to rule and, and really thinking deeply about what it means to be Black Panther, what it means to be ruler of Wakanda, but also a steward of the world. And you have an opportunity for that here, but Arthur here is much more concerned with getting the throne in the first place. And there really isn't much to do between him and his, His dichotomy between the land and the sea. And there's no writing there that really brings that conflict to life that makes you like him and root for him beyond thinking he has a cool beard and he takes selfies with people and he's fun to watch in that way. And that that works pretty well. But I think you could have had a much better film if he had been rounded out a bit more. And I can see why a lot of people are really cheering on an Aquaman sequel because there's your opportunity to, okay, we've got the origin story out of the way we've We've shown you this thing has a wild tone where anything can happen, and the ocean is a big, mysterious place that movies can explore to the brim. and i'm I'm really excited about that personally as well. And I think this is a great start. But yeah, if we were comparing this to other DC films and I want to hear your thoughts on this, I, I don't think it's quite as good as Wonder Woman, unfortunately. It doesn't have that same, you know, it does have a fish out of water story, a, a bit mm. more literal uh, in yeah. a sense. Uh, in terms of Mira, but uh, did you want to compare Aquaman to Wonder Woman, or do you have anything on that?
1: Uh, well, I wasn't planning to compare it to Wonder Woman, but I mean, I will say I, I liked it more than Suicide Squad and Justice League. Certainly, um, I'm not. I still don't really know where I feel about where I am with um, Batman v Superman. Truth be told, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think of the uh, origin films, I'm. I think it's like somewhere like a little lesser than just because it's a little more bloated, but I think about the same. That's where I am as far as the past DC films are concerned.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I just, I I think this movie has some of the same problems as Wonder Woman, like a a third act that sort of gets really visually clunky and overstuffed. And also (laughs) the big fight, right. (laughs) You know, between him and his half brother Orm played by Patrick Wilson I don't know. There, there was something about it that felt a little loose to me, and and like it, it just wasn't really amounting to too much. I, the whole time, I was really hoping that we'd have a surprise turn from a character. Like Willem Dafoe plays someone who really a thankless kind of role. wins a lot of the movie. He helps train Arthur, and you know he kind of is watching everything go down. But I, I was really expecting a little bit more from him. And Dolph Lundgren, I, I'm not sure why he's in this film. And what he's needed for specifically beyond we got Dolph Lundgren. I
1: mean, what more do you need? <laughs> he's you he's, got Dolph Lundgren.
0: We got Dolph Lundgren dresses a merman, and you know what? Yeah, fair enough. Exactly. I, okay, I yeah. understand it now. Uh, and Nicole Kidman as well. A uh, great role for her. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I, think, I, I think I think that's she has good fun casting. with it.
1: No, I think she has fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like a really well developed character compared to recent roles that she has done. But I will say that uh, in the first five minutes of the film, she gets a goldfish. And I was like, OK, I'm on board with this film. Like that was a moment for me that was like, OK, I'm, I'm going to have fun with this movie, I bet.
0: <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, same here. And uh, yeah, going through the cast, I think that it's 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 good. It, it's, it's a good movie for what it is, but it, it, there definitely isn't too much – to add on to it, uh, I did like Tamara Morrison, by the way. Uh, great to see him in a, in a film again. It's been a little while. Uh, the New Zealand actor. I think people probably know him best for the uh, the Star Wars movies. It's probably fair. Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah. But okay. Uh, I guess we can get into final thoughts. I, I really don't have anything else to add unless you do. Okay.
1: Not <laughs> more than I think I've said before. Right. I mean, like I said, like I've talked about it two times now, but... Yeah, I think if you want like a blockbuster that's more gleefully like, campy than your average Hollywood film, that like a film that kind of has like that Flash Gordon-esque sort of like silliness and pulpiness that is sometimes seen in blockbusters, but not really explored to full like comic book extent. I think this movie is really going to appeal to those type of audience members. Somebody like a film that people who want a film that is completely silly and aware of how silly it is. I think that's going to. Appeal to them. of so in the same way that I guess like Valerian last year had that kind of like insanity where it didn't really work as like a coherent story. But if you just want insanity after insanity, after insanity, that's where this film succeeds, I mm-hmm. think. But uh, yeah, it's way too long, but I, I enjoyed it, but I have really not much interest to see it again because of the length.
0: I don't know if I agree with that Valerian comparison. I thought this, the story here was way more coherent than I, I mean, I actually understood. Okay. I, I understand. I know what Arthur needs to do for his plot to move along. And I, I thought that it, it at least moved itself across the proceedings. It was very predictable. And you're like, okay, this is what's going to happen next. And this is what's going to, you know, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily ever think that it was a lot of insanity until probably closer to the end. When really? thing, okay. things were just getting kind of out there, I don't know. I, I can't think of too many crazy things that happen in the middle an of the An octopus movie.
1: plays the drums.
0: That is true. But that's <laughs> it's an isolate, it's an island, Will Ashton. It's, you know, it's like. Around the time when, okay, Arthur and Mira are in the desert, or they're in Italy, and then they're in the, these exotic locations, and nothing super uh, crazy happens there, if I recall. But maybe, maybe I'm just forgetting something.
1: I mean, they have they almost pee on an amulet to bring it back to life. I think that's pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> almost is the key word. So.
1: Sure. But, uh, okay. But in any case, I actually have one more point. It's real yeah. quick. I want to talk to you about the special effects, because I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about these. I feel like they're pretty good for what the film is now, but I feel like they're going to age terribly in like a decade mm. or less, maybe half a decade even.
0: They're effective in spots whenever they're able to get out of the underwater portions. You you can tell that there, there's more texture yeah. to the characters, and it feels like you're actually in a movie again. Because when they're talking to each other and, and they're like they've got this ethereal space water thing happening, it's so hard you know, ironically to be immersed, you know, because mm-hmm. you're just kind of wondering to yourself the mechanics of everything. Okay. How does this work? And that that's not true when they're swimming through the water, those scenes really worked for me and were effective they yeah, might age and as I well, like- but those made sense to me. I, I, there was energy to it. It's when they're kind of floating that it just made With me like- really question what I was watching, I guess.
1: Like when the hair just kind of weaves yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I agree pretty much 100%. That's what I'm talking about mainly is that I don't think in general special effects are bad, but I think all the C stuff is going to look pretty bad in a couple of years. Just we'll see. A, yeah, yeah. You,
0: you may be right about that. And I also think seeing it in Dolby helped because it really brought these really bright colors to life, which I was grateful for because I like the colors in this movie. I like the production value and the costumes and how they brought everything to picture. I thought that it was – very comic booky and pulpy and it matched the tone. And that's, that's what you want. They, they nailed it. I think James Wan understands how to bring that about in a film. He's, he's a pretty good director for nailing uh, some sort of coherent visual style and that's here. Yeah. And I, I think, think people are going to appreciate that for an Aquaman movie.
1: Yeah. No, I think if anything, it's more proof that genre filmmakers should be making these uh, superhero movies. I think they kind of get how to handle that pulpiness with sincerity more than a lot of like, I don't know. It, I mean, not to dismiss anyone who wants to get into the superhero making film, but I feel like there is something about horror filmmakers in particular that really nailed this. I think.
0: Well, there goes so. my hopes for Colin Trevorrow Aquaman two. <laughs>
1: oh no! <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, is James Wan attached to the second film?
0: Uh, I don't know if it's official. Uh, anything? The only DCEU films I know for sure that are coming next are Flash. Uh, we're gonna get that film, and then we're also Eventually. gonna get the new Wonder Woman sequel.
1: That's definitely coming, yeah. Yeah. And so Birds of Prey.
0: Birds of Prey, the uh, the one with Margot Robbie's character. Uh, when, yeah, I think that's
1: filming like next month.
0: Yeah, and so. she's in a film we're gonna be talking about pretty soon. But real quick. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So your grade last week was a B minus. I'm also a B minus. Um, right. So about the same as you. We agree on something this week. That's great.
1: Uh, yeah, I think we'll. You might agree on the next film too, surprisingly. So let's, uh, uh, I guess, move on to that film.
0: Let's find out. So, next, we're talking about a uh, Transformers film. Uh, before we get to our next review, actually, you might be wondering well, hold on. Okay, I understand you want to talk about Bumblebee, big movie coming out, but Will, John, are you going to cover Welcome to Marwin, the new film by oh, Robert yeah, Zemeckis, yeah. starring Steve Carell? So neither of us saw the film in time for this recording of Holics. We we had to do this show a little earlier.
1: Yeah. Well, I did have a screening for it, but it was the same day as Vice, and I decided to see Vice instead.
0: Right. Which we're talking about Vice next week. Right. Uh, and so w- the thing is, I have holiday travel. I forget. Well, I think you're staying in Pittsburgh for the holidays, correct?
1: Uh, not entirely, but not far away from it.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to be spending a few days on the other side of the country. But never fear, Will. I think you have a vague promise to offer the listeners regarding sure. Welcome to Marwin, which I am hearing is the worst film of the year. So obviously, we need to go see
1: yeah. it. Uh, no, if anyone enjoyed the episode of Last Call we did last year with Matt and I, where we talked about downsizing and bright, uh, I hope you enjoyed the possibility of us doing an episode of uh, On. I mean, Welcome to Marwin. Which Welcome is, to
0: Marwin and Mowgli, like in The Jungle, doing that again.
1: We're doing Mowgli? I don't know. I mean, we pretty much exhausted <laughs> I Mowgli, to, I, think.
0: I was trying to think of, like, Bright, like, what is that Netflix blockbuster equivalent? And I think Mowgli is the only one. Because the only other Netflix uh, film yeah, coming out uh, right now is, uh, well, there's Bird Box.
1: Yeah, that's not really, uh, like, a fun movie to talk about, I don't think, from Probably, what I've heard. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, I do want to see Bird Box. But, no, I, I, if I can find a Netflix equivalent to Bright... That isn't Mowgli. I'll I'll try to find it and convince Matt to see it against his will. I guess because he was not a fan of Bright either. But
0: sounds uh, like Ben is back has already been decided.
1: Yes, Ben is back is what we're gonna do. Ben's <laughs> glorious return to the silver screen. Um, no, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Welcome to Marwin. I think we're both. I, I think I got Matt pretty excited. It, it, like same as last year. Like I remember when we were talking about doing Bright and Downsizing. He was like, I don't know, I don't want to do this. And then. I convinced him, and then he got excited. So I think we're I'm I'm at that phase with Welcome to Marwan where he's actually getting kind of excited about it. So I'm excited to talk about it because I just think it 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 seems insane that this movie exists, (laughs) especially because I'm watching the documentary right now, and I do it seems like Zemeckis took all the wrong notes. (laughs) So can't uh, say
0: that yet, Will Ashton. You have not seen the film.
1: Just based on the reviews, I I'm not judging the film yet. I'll go in with an open mind. Maybe maybe I'll love it. Who knows? But I am very curious to see it, and however I feel about it, however Matt feels about it, we'll talk about it in that last call episode. Hopefully,
0: I'm looking forward to seeing this one nestled comfortably next to Vox Lux on your top ten of the year. So sure, just that to would be quite a
1: top ten, yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, next up here is a movie we're both going to talk about in full. This one is called Bumblebee. Here's a clip from the movie. of Earth. We are Decepticon peacekeepers patrolling the galaxy. What This is humiliating. We believe a dangerous criminal from our world is hiding somewhere on yours. There's a war raging on our planet. If B-127 isn't found, that war may find its way here. So you can sort of hear the plot there where the villains are describing their mission to a group of earthling government agents headed up by John Cena's character, Jack Burns. Very, very cool name. So Bumblebee was directed by Travis Knight. Uh, This is his first live action feature length film. He also directed Kubo and the Two Strings, which is from Laika, which he actually helped co-found. Laika is responsible for some of my favorite animated films in the last decade, including Kubo and the Two Strings, of course, Coraline, Paranorman, and a few more. But the film stars Haley Seinfeld and John Cena, and it's it's an interesting one. It kind of takes place in the 80s, and it's a new Transformers film. Will Ashton, w- w- what did you even think going into this one? How did you prepare yourself for Bumblebee and all of its revelations?
1: Uh, well, I went in with certainly higher expectations than I normally do for Transformers films, though this is the first Transformers film I ever saw at theater, so... Given the reviews, I, I felt it had to be something.
0: So you didn't see the first Transformers in theaters?
1: No, I didn't. I've I've only seen one Michael Bay movie in theaters, and thankfully I didn't pay for it. So. Oh, so it was Pain and Gain. No, it was um, the other one, 13 hmm. Strong, I think it was called.
0: Well, what a weird uh, weird, a weird way to round out Bay's filmography. I, I'm, I'm curious about this now. So I remember last year- 12 the, Strong. That's So no, Sorry. it was 13 Strong, wasn't it? Oh. Or it was thirteen no, wait, hours? Uh, the thirteen Secret hours, twelve so.
1: strong. Yes. was the movie from this year with um, what's his face? Chris Hemsworth. Chris
0: Hemsworth and Thirteen Hours was something else, which I don't think that was Michael Bay. The
1: Pagazzi movie. Yeah, yeah. With John Krasinski. Yeah.
0: Well, then also, well, last year there was a Wars the Last Night. I remember Maverick Hines and I talked about that, and you 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 didn't even see it. So is that is,
1: I? Had a prior engagement, and I had never been happier to not be involved <laughs> with an episode of Cinemaholics.
0: All right. Fair enough.
1: But I did see it. I thought it was a flaming piece of crap. But um, I don't actually think I was quite – I didn't give it an F like you guys did. So that's, I guess, one way I differ from it. But it was not far from an F. So I had better expectations for this movie, I guess, considering that – I last I checked, it has like a 94% on
0: Rotten Tomatoes. At one point, it had 98 And I haven't checked it since, but I can't really quick. It's, uh, no, you're right, 94.
1: Yeah, so it's certainly certified fresh, which is something that has not even remotely happened to the Michael Bay Transformers movie. So I was like, okay, this might be something. You know, Haley Seinfeld, I like Haley Seinfeld as an actress. I um, also saw that it was directed by Travis Knight, who made one of my favorite movies of 2016. I believe it was in my top five, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. So I was like, okay, this could, this could be something. This could be fun. And I don't know. I I want to know what everyone was drinking in their Kool-Aid because I, I feel like I'm on the minority here as far as the opinion is concerned because I, I was a little bummed out by the end of it. In what it was, way? I just found it kind of formulaic in a way that wasn't as engaging nearly as I thought it was going to be. I won't I, it it is certainly the best Transformers movie. I'll give it that. I mean, it's the best directed of them. I think it's certainly the most simplistic and focused of all the Transformers movies. So, it has a coherency and a sense of focus that has not been found in the other Transformers films, at least not the sequels. But, um as a film, I feel like it's interesting that we're talking about this movie the same week we're talking about Aquaman cuz like both those movies seem to be kind of working against their scripts. Their scripts feel like kind of studio mandated fodder where they just kind of have to work around it. And I think James Wan did that through creative means And this movie. I think Travis Knight directed the film fairly well, but I just feel like the script is so hindered by the cliches and formulaic tropes that it is, uh, has ingrained in it plot that i don't think it ever quite forms its own identity it feels a little bit like short circuit iron giant uh et a bunch of other films before it to the point where i just feel like i've seen this before and i've seen it better so
0: right i i'm right there with you will and it's so fascinating because for once both you and i are kind of on the outside
1: yeah looking in I don't like this, but it's interesting. It
0: is weird. I I walked out of this really bummed out as well because, you know, the trailers had me sold for what I got. I'll give it that. A character-driven Transformers film. And simple story. That's what I wanted. A strong lead actress who sort of builds a bond and has a reason to care about this Transformer. That's what we got. An interesting kind of not black and white villain with John Cena. Yeah. Great. That's what I wanted but it's just the way that they do it. There's nothing there's, there's nothing new to it. So it really is one of those things. It's like, okay, well, if you haven't seen Iron Giant before. You haven't seen E.T. If you haven't seen the dozens of films that have done this story before, where you know what's going to happen before it happens. You know every beat. And it, it would be one thing if the film had all of those familiar plot mechanics surrounded by really interesting scenes there were so many scenes that kind of were limp and kind of left you hanging There's a scene where she has to catch up to her mom because her mom is driving the, the Volkswagen and it's like half transforming. And she's, she somehow, there are a lot of leaps in logic with this movie that don't really make sense. Somehow on a bike, she manages to catch up to her mom, bike next to her and stop the car. And that's the end of the scene. Like there's nothing to it. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's one of those things where I'm like, Well,, where's the rest of the scene? Like the, there's nothing that's sort of concluding this scene or giving us some kind of like really funny beat. I, I didn't really find myself laughing very much in this movie. When I did, i it was great. And there are enjoyable moments in here. but yeah, I, I just didn't I, I didn't find this film very satisfying, I think, in a lot of ways, other people certainly are. And in my review of the film, I kind of mentioned and I was like, okay, yeah, it's, it's the best of the Transformers films, but how low is our bar that that's how we're kind of measuring this?
1: Yeah. Are we grading on a curve here? Like what's going on?
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, I also, you know, this, this is a nitpick, so I'm not, you know, I just have to bring it up. So the film partly takes place in San Francisco. She lives in like a fictional coastal town and, and, okay, so I live over here and I could not help but notice that I, I was a little annoyed by some of the weird she's like she's basically able to bike from like North San Francisco, like Mere Woods, I guess is what they're trying to say, is where she is, like the Redwoods. She somehow bikes all the way down the peninsula to get to Santa Cruz, which is where they she works because that's like I actually, I was, I thought that was kind of cool. They, they, they actually filmed Santa Cruz and they show her there. There were little moments where I could be like, Ooh, that's like a little bit of movie magic. She's biking down the pier and she's not headed toward anything, but then it cuts to like a mechanics shop. And I was like, ah, movie, movie magic. I like it. Um, Cause it's a nice way to capture the pier and the distance and everything. So if you wanted to get an idea of like where I live and what, this area is like like Silicon Valley and the South Bay and Santa Cruz and all that stuff. This film shoots that stuff pretty well. And it's not egregious about the golden gate bridge. So those are, those are my most positive slash slight nitpicks because some of the, some of of some of the details weren't, weren't quite there in terms of how she was able to get around, but I mean, it
1: should be noted that it's like, she doesn't have a traditional bike. It's like somewhere between like a bike and a motorcycle. Right. Right. Like it's like, a yeah. So I, I excused it a little bit as far as the scene you're talking about with uh, her mom. Something like stood out to me was like, there's like the scene where like she's like training bumblebee on the beach in the middle of the day and there's like nobody there. And it's like,
0: right. was nobody
1: on the beach in the middle of the day and not seeing all this, like even from like the boardwalk, yeah. like. Who 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 is not seeing this? Like,
0: well, that's not new, that's not anywhere near the boardwalk. That's supposed to be uh, Rodeo Lake, I think it's called, which is north of San Francisco, and it's it's a place where there are literally houses overlooking the beach. Yeah, like, right that's there. what I mean. Like,
1: somebody would see this. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. this is not a conspicuous whatever. Yeah, it's not a hidden place at
0: Inconspicuous, all. Inconspicuous.
1: Yeah. Yes, there you go. There you go. You know how to speak.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I. The, those things, the, it's those aren't things that make this terrible or anything. It's just there are so many leaps in logic. There are so many things taking me out constantly where I was thinking to myself, Whoa, "Wait, wait, wait, what? They're creating the internet right now? Like, wait, 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 they're going to let? These, I actually,
1: that was kind of fun.
0: <laughs> these invader but... robots. It made no sense. Will Ashton, no, I know. The government I know. It made would let zero these... sense. So well, the I whole like,
1: okay. Whatever, I'll allow this.
0: (laughs) The whole plot of the Decepticons showing up and the humans are so concerned about Bumblebee and Bumblebee is such a huge threat and they're willing to work so quickly with these other robots that look way more evil, I think. I don't know, it was just such a stupid decision. And like, I I will give the film credit because John Cena was the one character who's like, what, why are we letting this happen? Why are we doing this? And that part- fine that worked um
1: Dina uh he's not made to be the comedic character but he has like all the funny jokes like the actual jokes really are does. funny
0: <laughs> which is actually is kind of a shame because pamela adlon is also in this
1: yeah and the great pamela adlon she's given nothing
0: nothing she is she is such a she's one of tv's most understated secret weapons yeah. uh, if you haven't seen californication she makes that show
1: so, well, King of the Hill, I mean, yeah. And Better Things, her own show. She has her own
0: good. show, which I've heard is good. I've never actually seen very, Better Things.
1: I still need to see the second season, but the first season is definitely good.
0: Regardless, I I just, I don't know. I, when this film works, it does work. And I, I get why people are liking it and they're enjoying it. It's just, it's so cliche. There, There are too many cliches. There are too many leaps in logic that really don't follow any sort of coherence. And there were little things in the script where I, I did think it was a bit of a rough draft because you have this subplot with like this neighbor kid who's kind of in love with her and they really don't hit. His name is memo for some weird reason. Um, I actually
1: kind of liked that. His name was memo.
0: His, so, he's he's played by uh Georgie Lindenberg. He was, uh, I think he was in embrace bear. Wasn't he?
1: Was he, was he the kid?
0: I think he was. Uh, oh, wow.
1: I knew he looked familiar, but that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm, I'm looking it up now. He was in love Simon. Uh, he was also in Spider-Man homecoming. Um, but I'm not seeing, Oh wait, no. Yeah. He played Spencer in Briggsby bear. Yeah.
1: Good old Spencer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One of my favorite actors in that film.
1: I think he's a good actor. Yeah. I I think his character is very, very thin though. Like literally his only thing for like 45 minutes of this film is like, talking to himself about asking a girl out and then trying to ask a girl out unsuccessfully for like 45 minutes. It's like the same thing over and over again. It's like, geez Louise, can we just get (laughs) on with this or move away? Like do something else.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. uh, I don't know. The film, the film is trying to succeed off of this connection between Charlie and Bumblebee. She has like a pretty tragic backstory and all of this stuff. And There there was something, I I guess, there was just something missing there for me that really made me invest in these two characters and what the film was trying to say ultimately. Ultimately, because all I was really getting from it was, okay, a way that you can cope through grief is through new friends, and I don't know. I guess, I, I, I I guess it's weird to say that I want a little bit more from a Transformers movie. but I kind of do at the same time because like again, you you said it best when other movies have done this and they've done it better, Iron Giant does this perfectly. So like if you're going to do Iron Giant, you, you need more. If you're going to invoke those connections and those relationships, you know, I maybe maybe this is just one of those films that's for a newer generation and they haven't seen Iron Giant or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean I still got more short, short circuit than Iron Giant, but I think Iron Giant was what they're trying to do more than short circuit.
0: Well, in terms but, of like the grandness of it, I think.
1: Right. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, from like a, an alien uh, amphimorphic robot, for sure. But
0: And the fact I that think, he like kind of loses control of himself at one point and you're like, oh, he's scary, too.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. In that sense, you mean like when the eyes turn red and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely. I think Travis Knight has said on numerous occasions, like I'm trying to make the Iron Giant. So yeah,
0: (laughs) well I you know fine it it works in some of those levels and I I I guess we didn't really mention it but one of the reasons it is the better Transformers movie is because at least the action is coherent you can actually yeah you can actually tell that there's like an Aquaman there's like a visual tone that's established and it's followed through and when these Autobots are fighting Decepticons and when these robots are kind of in the thick of it you understand what's going on. I think that Bumblebee is a little overpowered. Honestly, I think it's part of the problem with the script that he's the only one. I never really, I always felt like he was way stronger than the people he was fighting. Um, and so there, there's some character development in that way of like he, that I didn't really understand. I was like, he seems like a younger soldier. So why is he able to just like, it happens pretty early on. Like he's so able to easily defeat the villains. And I wanted a little yeah. bit more explanation of like, okay, is it cause he's more creative? Is it, you know, what's, what's his deal? Like, how is he so good at this?
1: Yeah, I I I had the same opinion. I, I guess it's just that he's very adept in his world, but like cuz he's going to a completely different world that he's not quite as adept at anything, but mm. that's that's pretty loose comparison or a pretty loose explanation, I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it, but when I saw him fighting, I did I thought it was cool and I thought it was what an action movie should have and do. And yeah, I guess I just didn't quite love the writing here, the, the film, I think it was partly written by Christina Hodson. Um, I think she did yeah. the whole screenplay and I, I, I,
1: like, she did, uh, she did edge of 17, right. Which is a good film.
0: It is. She also did shut in the, uh, the 2016 film.
1: Oh, I didn't see that, but yeah. Um.
0: G- great writer, but I guess there was just like a, a disconnect with taking this material, which is again, very character based. It's a more serious look at the transformers that is welcome. But I guess we just need a little bit more of a coherence between director and writer to really bring about something that feels like its own thing. And um, and I think in some ways it does. Like I think the music is good. Dario Marianelli does the music. The cinematography, like we said, it it it's got an interesting look. I think is Enrique uh, Chitayek did the cinematography, and it's so '80s. And I, I think it's it's a little slavish to the '80s in some ways. Oh, that for too sure. Far ago?
1: It's, uh, it's devotion to the eighties is very, um, shameless and, uh, not at all subtle. And I found it pretty grating, like in a way that if you're going to do like the eighties nostalgia thing, like, don't just say like eighties stuff, like actually incorporate a plot. Just don't be like, Hey guys, I'm going to watch Alf on my beta TV. Hey, mm-hmm. let's have fun here in the eighties. It's like, just so
0: <laughs> time to play pong.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought some of the music choices were sort of working themselves into the plot, but I don't know. I just I don't think it it didn't do that much to wow me. I guess, and if you're going for this big of a story, and if you're going for this specific aesthetic, you got to do a little bit more. And I understand the bar was so low, and we should be grateful, Will Ashen. I feel a little bad because we're 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 not loving this new Transformers film like how original, but. Yeah, I don't know. I It just was, it wasn't quite there for me, but I, I think people should take our opinions with a grain of salt because we're, again, we're total outliers. I think that people really like this film. Some people are saying it's their favorite of the year. and Really? I oh. don't get it, but hey, wow. I'm glad people are digging it because that means that maybe the next one can be even better. So what were your final thoughts and how would you grade Bumblebee? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I don't. I think I'm a slightly more positive than you are, but that's not really saying too much. For me, it's like a close, but no cigar blockbuster. I think there is stuff in here. We, we talked more about the negatives just because I think we're the outliners on this. Like, there there is good stuff in here. I think Hanley Seinfeld has okay chemistry with Bumblebee. I think the there's a couple, like, good bits of dialogue here and there. But as it stands, it's certainly a step up for the Transformers series. I think it's the first Transformers movie since the first film where uh it felt like they actually took from executive producer steven spielberg's playbook like they actually followed his guidance and normally i'd find that kind of tedious and unoriginal but i think that actually added to its sense of coherency that was very much not found in the last four transformers movies so uh i guess the last five actually right or how many were those they end up being let's five all together yeah. so yeah, the last i think four, it was yeah.
0: five yeah five or six yes
1: yeah so last four i mean so I just wish it wasn't so like familiar with its beats. It didn't have so many tropes to it that feel like we've seen this a million times before. And I feel bad because I'm really excited for Travis Knight as a filmmaker. I, I wanted to champion his live-action debut, and I will still chalk out, check out every single Leica, Leica movie. I, I will continue to support him in his endeavors, but unfortunately I wasn't quite endeared by this film as many people were. And I hope more people like it, I'm glad people like it, but for me, it was a C plus.
0: Okay, yeah, I, I'm a C on this one. Uh, I think it's pretty average, and it, it, I agree it's it's a step in the right direction. There's it, good stuff in here, but it's like surrounded by some just really weak plot devices and and so many gaps in logic that really threw me for a loop, and and I just wasn't able to get into it. But Yeah, I I mean, because we are such outliers, again, 94% of the Rotten Tomatoes, uh, I do want to bring up a couple of positive reviews. Caillou Pettis of Starburst said, the film is brimming with fun and charming scenes, a compelling story, and a great hero And Haley Steinfeld. Bumblebee is a joyride of a film, way more than meets the eye. Liz Shannon Miller from IndieWire gave the film a B plus and wrote there are- B+,
1: yeah.
0: (laughs) B+, plus, Yeah. There are many scenes where giant robots fight each other, and in those scenes, you can actually see what's happening. The Autobots and Decepticons toss each other around with slick, judo-like moves and blast each other with a Bannon, and the cinematography and editing hold still long enough to let you enjoy the moment. So yeah, Yeah. Uh, some
1: praise. I wish I could give it a B, too, just for the the hell of it, but I I can't. I, I have to be true to my opinions of the film.
0: Yeah, the the only, sorry, well, the only opinion that I can find that was similar to yours was Jesse Hazinger's from the AV Club. Also gave it a C plus, called oh. it a careless stretch of blockbusting. Um, so very similar to some of your yours and mine thoughts. So that's, yeah, bumblebee. I wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't call it careless, but I just think uh, like there is care in here.
0: I I'd call it like fast and loose.
1: Sure. I just wish they spent a little more time making the script stand out in literally any way at all. <laughs>
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that is Bumblebee. It's now playing in theaters along with Aquaman and Mary Poppins Returns. It's quite a quite a week at the box office. I think that you are not low on choices because all three of those films are fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Two of them are certified fresh. Uh, Mary mm-hmm. Poppins Returns is seventy seven percent at the moment. Bumblebee is ninety four, as we said, and Aquaman's at sixty three, which you know, really, it, that's low. Oh. It is a little low, yeah. It, but and it's it's basically at the end. But it's got an eighty-seven percent audience rating. You know, grand as as always. But you know, you definitely get the sense that the that that's one where I think fans are more than satisfied, even if the reviews are technically pretty negative. So
1: yeah, I I guess I just haven't been paying attention to the Aquaman score because it was a lot higher last I checked.
0: It was. Yeah, I think the first rollout, uh, it uh, it was on more positive tides but uh, there you go. Now it's combine,
1: You made puns for transformers and (laughs)
0: Aquaman. That one. I like it. There you go. Uh, I think that's a pirates of the Caribbean title. Um, Sure. Anyway, uh, that'll do it for our double feature review. I saw they shall not grow old. So I want to talk about that film quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There, there aren't really any clips or trailers we could play that would do this one justice. You would really just hear, uh, the film, and it's not really what the deal is with They Shall Not Grow Old. It is a film with you know a lot of soundscape, and one of one of the really sneaky good things about this documentary is its sound. But we'll get to that. So this is a, like I said, it's a new documentary. It was directed and produced by Peter Jackson. This this is like his 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 heart project, right? His personal project, the thing, this passion that thing that he has wanted to do for a long time. It is a World War One documentary. So it chronicles the lives of British soldiers between the years of 1914 and 1918. And Will, both you and I saw this documentary, I think in 3D, correct? Yeah, I saw it in 3D as well. Okay, great. Yeah. Which is the way to see this. If you're going to, to manage to catch this, it's in limited release right now. They did a Fathom event. Uh, I think they're going to be doing some more in different locations I- pretty soon, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the is the twenty seventh Wednesday or Thursday. I do not of December. know December. I know the next one's the Thursday coming up.
0: Yeah, week. I do know that it's on the twenty seventh, uh, and you could have also seen it in uh, in the UK. I, I don't know if all the countries in the UK, but yeah, so the UK has had this before. It aired on the BBC, I think, too. Oh, okay. And for a while, you were actually able to stream this for free. I think online on BBC, and wow. then they took it off, but. I think the way to see this, though, is on a big screen. So the hook of They Shall Not Grow Old is that if you've ever seen World War One footage before, the the technology for filmmaking back in those days, 100 years ago, was it, it was primitive. I, we were still figuring out how to develop film. So when you watch those old reels, of course, it's in black and white. Of course, it's silent. You can't hear anything. And the frame rate is kind of sporadic, you know, at moments it'll be kind of going a little bit slower than it should. And then it'll really speed up. And uh, a lot of the time it is just like happening very fast and it kind of has an otherworldly feel to it when you watch footage from the old days and- For that reason, it's kind of difficult to really immerse yourself into this footage in other documentaries that have come out. So Peter Jackson's goal, his mission with his new documentary was he knew he wanted to cover this time period. So he decided, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do something no one's ever done before. He's a visual effects master in terms of directing films that really just suck you into completely new escapist fantasies with Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings trilogy, I think is one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Say what you will about the Hobbit films. I I think that he, he just gets how to combine sight and sound in ways that blockbusters should be made. And uh, I also liked King Kong. I think that film has its, has its fans and it has its detractors. Made
1: include. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, I'm a
1: big fan of it. Big fan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that I think that Jackson is an excellent filmmaker on the whole, and so I was really excited about this one. I, I was like, "Oh my goodness, Peter Jackson, bringing World War One to life—that was his goal with this film, and it's a great goal to have." So, what he did with his team is they took footage of World War One from the Imperial War Museums, and the archives. A lot of it footage people had never seen before. A lot of it too dark for people to have seen. He found ways with his his technicians to bring this footage to color and not just color, but they managed to restore the footage, remove the imperfections, add some CG work, slow down the frame rate. And the end result is you're in it. You're in world war one in ways that are authentic. And it is a, a wizardry that never wears out its shock value because they, they dub in audio. They dub in, they use professional lip readers, for example. And you learn all of this, like after the film, he talks about how they made this happen. And mm-hmm. I think, Will, you even said that was probably your favorite part was just listening oh, yeah, to yeah. him talk about it. And I kind of agree, actually the, the 30 minute documentary. I hope, I hope that's going to be available because Absolutely. I think it's fantastic uh, because it is for film lovers, for people and also historians. This thing is a treasure trove of content uh, but what about the actual documentary itself? Well, what, what is it? What, what material, what subject matter does it cover?
1: It covers mostly the first world war from the perspective of the British soldiers. Um, you just kind of get their life, their lives in the war. His conceit for the film was mostly just to have it, um, from like a perspective of, of anyone from any country, but he just chose Britain cause he felt like that was what he had to work with. So, um, I think it's interesting as far as what the film is able to communicate. Um, I think it's really effective as far as getting you immersed into this world or into this like footage that's literally from a hundred years ago. And I think the thing that impressed me the most about the colorization is that you can see the personalities kind of come back to life when you see their face more fully. Like when you see like the way that their eyes kind of twinkle or like how they smile or like how they like look the camera it's like you can see the humanity come back again that's really really astounding um I don't know if I was quite as dazzled by the digitalization seat that you're talking about because I found it at times I thought it was seamless like it was incredible and there were a couple times where you could kind of tell they changed the frame rate just because the way someone would move it had like that kind of um like hobbit frame rate thing where they kind of move a little too fast and like you can you're kind of, I don't know if you felt this way at all. But. I did
0: here and there. I, I don't think it happened. There's so much seamlessness that I kind of forgave it, I guess, on those counts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just, I just mean it more like people are saying, I, I, including you are saying like, it's so like remarkably seamless. I, I didn't find it a hundred percent seamless. There's sure. certainly not times perfect. where like, right. There were certainly times where I was like, I'm definitely watching a digitalization of it. Uh, but I think, it's a film I certainly appreciate a lot. I don't know if I love it as much as a lot of people have loved it as far as the reviews are concerned, but as a piece of film from one of my favorite filmmakers, I think it's certainly a film that I respect the whole great deal.
0: Yeah. It's worth checking out because it's such an achievement, but I'm there with you. All of my criticisms with this really come down to the subject matter. It, It does feel like that documentary where they were like, Let's just see what happens and the story will find itself. And sometimes that really works for a documentary because yeah, you come like across – Well, yeah, a lot of the best ones, they, they just start off with, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's investigate. And then they reach their conclusions. And I think that's the right way to go about it. But I think this is a case where they just didn't find anything all that insightful to really pair with this technical marvel because I think the point you made it, it the strongest thing about this film, like you said, is reminding us the humanity of these people from a hundred years ago and, and that is effective. but there's no connection between that and war in a way that I think, we haven't seen This is kind of like Bumblebee. Like we've seen so many times before. Jeez.
1: I don't think anyone in the history of film has compared, they shall not grow old and Bumblebee until um, now.
0: I'm not comparing the films. I'm comparing the criticisms because I criticized I so. Bumblebee for, again, like really just retreading old ground in sort of different ways. And here, we've gotten so many great world war One documentaries before. I think people should check out the first world war. Uh, they should also check out, check out some of the TV miniseries that have been done for in this, this time period, because not only do they remind you that these were people, which is what they shall not grow old does over and over again, but they also add context. They, they kind of teach you a little bit more information that you probably didn't know already. And my struggle with this film is that it doesn't teach very much or not that it has to teach a lot. It's just, you need a little something to contextualize what you're seeing. And there was nothing in here that I was like, I didn't know that. Right. Like there were a couple of things that were a little interesting. I was like, Oh, I didn't realize lice was that big of a problem, but there weren't things that really tied it into some sort of like narrative that would have made this a really compelling documentary beyond the visuals. And and I think the visuals yeah. are great. So you really have to give it a lot of credit, but yeah, I, I struggle to, to love this one as well.
1: No, I agree. I think for me, like the moments that stand out and I'm going to be a little coarse, but I have a point to make. So I hope people forgive me, but like there's a scene where like we see like soldiers like crapping and like, it's like, <laughs> it's like something like I never really thought about. Yeah. And like, it's kind of fascinating in a way. Like that's like, I wish the movie had more of like the soldiers crapping just because <laughs> like, not literally, but like something like something like that, right? Like I haven't seen this like really explored before in like a film like this. Like I haven't really thought about this. Like, and that to me made it more like human because like, yeah, they have to do this. So like, like it, that's how they have to do it, I guess. And I agree with you. Like Like that and like the lice, like stuff like that. I don't really think about when I think about like soldier stuff. Yeah, and I like the, those details a lot because they are like minute things that I mean they're obvious in, when you point them out. But like when you think of like the Great World War, you don't really think about like those type of things. So I wish the movie had more stuff like that, and less kind of like retreading the, like, a lot of the familiar soldier stuff that I think people are expected to get in these type of documentaries.
0: Yeah, I guess I, I guess with me. I just wanted a little bit, I think we didn't really explain this, but the audio in this is mostly veterans of the first world war who gave the BBC interviews in the 1960s and 70s talking about their experiences. And I think some of the struggle for me with this is the pacing and editing because it's the way that they edited in those interviews. It's so meandering that it takes you to totally different states of mind and points, because it it feels like you're listening to like 12 different stories happening simultaneously. So I was, I I don't know, there there was nothing leading me. And I think this movie suffered a little bit from not having a central narrator, which I hate saying because I love the idea behind it. I, I think that Jackson was right. So like, you know what, this is their story. Let them tell the story. The problem is that they don't really tell a story. They just sort of describe everything. And the problem with that is that it goes all over the place And I just found myself not really feeling guided along. And I'm not sure what the film is missing for me. I hope I can see it on the big screen again, because I want to give it another shot. Because I I know that this is really resonating with people. I I think that, and I, I totally understand why. I think that it is sort of bringing the horrors of war to light in a couple of new ways. Not a lot, but in some new ways that people should appreciate and I like frostbite. That was something in this film that I never expected to be a big factor, mm-hmm. right? And it's yeah. horrific, and they show you some really horrific stuff in terms of that. Like, right. I that was the most unsettling thing I've seen in 2018, and I saw her Reddit. Oh yeah, so
1: uh,
0: okay, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't want to uh, don't want to step on stuff all over that movie again. But anyway, they shall not grow old. Uh, it, it's a good documentary. I just I don't think it is one of the best documentaries of the year. I think that we've gotten much better ones that have been a bit more compelling, even though this one is kind of a, just a technical achievement in filmmaking that really excites me as a film lover. And I'm really glad this thing exists. And I want to see this technology used to more great gain personally. So I give this one a B minus. What about you?
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, You mentioned it earlier, but yeah, I think for me, I was way more invested in just learning about how the movie was made and like all the steps that uh, Peter Jackson had to take to bring this to life. And I think you kind of see his like dry sense of humor and you see the passion that he really eagerly brought to his project. And I do applaud him for making this movie because it is very personal for him. It's it's pretty different as far as everything else he has made to date. And I like that he's expanding his horizons and doing something that um, clearly is resonating with a lot of people, and something that feels very satisfying for him uh, more so than I think the last three Hobbit films were. Uh, and I will say it's better than The Hobbit: The Battle of the of Armies, so that's certainly a plus. But for me, I'm grade wise, I'm the same as you. I'm giving it a B minus. Um, I think it's gonna go over pretty well in like schools when people have to watch it for class. Yeah. But um, as a film, like I liked it for sure, but I don't know if I'm quite at the same high bar that clearly a lot of other people are at the moment.
0: Okay, so we're a couple of Scrooges this week. I'm Ron Zamitos. This film has a 98 uh, percent on just 57 reviews. Average rating right now is 8.7 out of 10. So it is definitely taking other people by storm. So uh, but yeah, well, I,
1: B minus is a good grade.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's good. I think I think it's uh, technically. I th- like, because when I did my review, for me, a B minus translated to a six out of ten, which is right. technically rotten for Rotten oh, Tomatoes.
1: Really? Um, for me, that's a that's a plus.
0: I know, right? I, I was a little annoyed by that, but uh, it's you know. so
1: simple. Like, there's five grades for negative, and there's five grades for positive. Six is a positive, if not a high one. But
0: I know. I know. Yeah, well, whatever. Rotten Tomatoes decided that I I gave it a splat, and I'm a little annoyed about that. So. Regardless, uh, let's talk about our next film, Mary, Queen of Scots. Mm -hmm. Mary, Queen of Scots is a new historical drama film directed by Josie Rourke. It was written by Beau Willimon. Uh, Let's hear a quick clip from the trailer.
1: England does not look so different from Scotland.
0: Aye, they are sisters.
1: Queen Elizabeth, your cousin Mary has returned to take up her throne in Scotland. The Queen!
0: My dear cousin Elizabeth, I hope we might meet in person, that I might embrace you. But ruling side by side, we must do so in harmony, not through a treaty drafted by men lesser than ourselves. My dear cousin, let our nations cherish each other as we would.
1: Two kingdoms united. How did the world come to this? Wise men servicing the whims
0: of women. All right, that's from Mary Queen of Scots' new film. It's a biography. It's based on a biography by John Guy called "Queen of Scots: The True Life of Mary Stuart." She was the father of King James, and a very, very important historical figure. But she was always kind of in the backdrop, I think, of Queen Elizabeth, who was also alive during this time. So, film. The film stars Saoirse Ronan. She plays Mary. She was the Queen of Scotland for about, I think, twenty years or something like that. And Margot Roby plays her cousin, Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, this chronicles uh, the conflict between both of their countries in the late 1500s. And it, it is a long film. I think it's like a little over two hours. And you really spend, in this one, you spend a really long amount of time with Mary herself. Uh, Saoirse Ronan's character is, in my opinion, really supposed to be the lead here. And Margaret Roby isn't in it that much, and you really are just sort of following her life. Her she lived in France for a while. She was married off. She returns to Scotland. She has a very strong claim to the throne now that her husband is dead, and you see her sort of maneuver the politics of basically monarchy. And she's trying. Her main goal is she wants to marry the right person so that when she has a child. Her child would be the heir to the British throne. No spoilers unless you're a history buff and you know how everything sort of plays out. This is a very fascinating story. I think that Mary, Queen of Scots, is kind of an under person in history, typically because we have so many movies and documentaries and things already covering Queen Elizabeth, who is also a very fascinating person in real life. And as this sort of is coming out, The Favourite came out pretty recently from Yorgos Lanthimos. That's more about Queen Anne. So like 100 years later and very, very different story, but it they share some DNA where, okay, it's a period drama with, the, in this case, no comedy. I think Favourite actually has comedy. In this case, they play it very straight and serious. And you're really just sort of getting a look at what feminism, the limits of feminism you know even when you were the strongest most you know royally powerful person in all of the land how limited you were in terms of power because these two women sort of contend with the council of men constantly men are always undermining them men are always trying to basically impose what they want on these two women who are in different countries and that that's the main point of this movie and I'm, I'm curious what you think about it, Will. I have a feeling I, I know that you don't like this one. I don't hate it. And I think that it's it's so much movie. And I think that it does come together for me, even though partly the way through, I was like, this is too much. And I want it to sort of lean in a bit more on the themes that matter. And it's there's so much back and forth and political schemes that I don't care about. This one really did feel like a mini series that was condensed oh, to two hours, for sure. You can really see the seams for like, oh, that's that subplot that they were going to do in the first couple of episodes. That's gone. But what did you think of this one, Will Ashton? Um, please, please tell me you don't absolutely hate it.
1: I don't hate it. I will say that. I mean, it it's a film that I saw, I think, exactly 24 hours after I saw The Favourite. And I'm glad you mentioned that film because to me, The Favorite uh, was certainly the better version of this type of story. Um, I think, I forget which episodes I've said this before, but I'm not a particularly big fan of Period Pieces.
0: You said it on many episodes. Yeah, I can't remember. (laughs) At least every year for it.
1: I've I've probably said every episode. Um, But I think something that became crystallized for me watching The Favorite and Mary Queen of Scots, which should have a comments title, and it doesn't, and that annoys the grammarist in me, but in any case, uh, (laughs) I think this movie kind of crystallized, okay, it's not so much I don't like period pieces, I just don't like period pieces that are like this dry, serious, humorless, and stuffy, I just find it like It's bleak. Well, I don't mind that it's bleak, but it just the style of it feels very straightforward in a way that feels like no one's having fun making it.
0: Well, then, yeah. also, the characters never have fun.
1: Right. Well, there's one scene I think they have fun.
0: Well, maybe. Uh, uh, I don't anyway. remember that No, scene. no,
1: I'm not thinking about that. Not that scene. Not that scene. There's there's a card scene.
0: <laughs> right, 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 yeah.
1: There's a scene where they have cards. But even when cards.
0: characters... Right, but then even when the characters are <laughs> having fun, it has to immediately right. go back to, no, no living back in these days was terrible and horrible and men are the worst. And I'm like, yeah, I know.
1: Right. Which is fair. I mean, that's certainly a valid uh, thesis, but I just wish the execution of the film was better because I don't know. I, like you said, I mean, or you hinted at least that the movie feels very uneven to me. Like it didn't feel like the stories between Mary and Queen Elizabeth were that like coherently put together. I definitely felt like this was a series because like they kind of like are jaggedly spliced together in a way that yeah. did not feel very – like the pace in this movie is just terrible. Like it is not a well-paced movie no. at all.
0: It's literally uh-huh. missing scenes because there, right. there are scenes where you're supposed to be like, wait, when did Mary decide to do this thing that outsmarted everyone? And everyone's like, right. Mary did it again. And I'm like, what did she do? Yeah. Like, I don't- it,
1: it felt more like the movie was like, oh, as we all know, Queen Elizabeth did. This. And it's like, oh,
0: right, yeah. we,
1: did we miss something? Like, what? It's like, <laughs> well, obviously, when Queen Elizabeth did this, we don't need to do that again. <laughs> it, it, felt like, it felt like a movie like about Queen Elizabeth for people who have seen like 12 Queen Elizabeth movies. Mm. And I think I've seen like two. And I don't remember them particularly well. So, yeah, I definitely felt like I was lost in her story a little bit. So, I mean, I will say I think performances wise, they're fine. Like, I don't think either of them deserve, like, serious award consideration given how tight of a race this year's uh, awards consideration is going to be. But, I mean, I thought Charce Ronan was pretty good. Uh, Margot was all right. I think she's been better before, but I think she did a pretty good job. I thought the makeup was pretty good. Um, I'm I'm sure this is going to get consideration for costumes and all that jazz. Yeah, sure, probably, yeah. But, um, yeah, if I was a team behind the favorite. I would give uh, the team for Mary Queen of Sky a nice fruit basket no. filled with uh, pomegranates,
0: uh, more no, that's, for
1: securing their Oscar chances. For this that's film. that's
0: just passive aggressive enough, passive aggressive enough for the Victorian <laughs> era. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm with you for the most part. Yeah, I think Saoirse Ronan she gives a commendable performance. I think this with on Chessel Beach we'll make it for the year that Saoirse Ronan did two films where she was a great actress in a not great movie, but I differ slightly on Margot Ruby. And I think part of the reason this film does come together for me toward the end is because I don't know, it does do something with her as Queen Elizabeth that I thought was way more interesting than Mary. I, I uh, just, I just yeah. found Their interpretation of Queen Elizabeth way different than we've seen before, because the other interpretation spends so much of their time just really hammering in Queen Elizabeth as this rigid, mean-spirited, I wish I was a man kind of character. And here, I don't know, they, they do a better job of showing her as just more of a human being who... Wasn't, you know, she she had her desires, she had her motivations, she was a strong person, but she was also flexible, she was also reasonable when she could be, and she was also conniving when she needed to be. And, and I like what they do with her here. It's just that she's not in this movie enough. She's in it a little bit more toward the end. And I think I just really like her in this movie because I came to the conclusion that I like. The third act of this movie way more than the first two. There's more filmmaking style toward the end of the movie. You you just get the sense that the third act is the movie that Josie Wark wanted to make, and that she cared more about this time, this specific time in Mary's life, which won't give anything away, but it's kind of when things hit the fan. And and I like there was more attention in the the designs of like the settings here. There there was more attention to like what the scenes were and how they connect toward the end of the film. So I give it a little bit of credit because I like it when films end stronger than the first two acts. But I think that a lot of people will say, well, <laughs> the first two acts are so weak that that's such a low bar and what have you. So yeah, I, I give this one kind of a, a, a C plus, but not not like a mean C plus, not like a you failed in every level of C plus, not that that exists, but sort of a, I didn't hate it. And there was stuff in here that was a really solid effort, and uh, that's where I'm at. What about you?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna give it a C. Um, not the worst thing out there. I mean, I can certainly see how this will appeal to people, but I think anyone expecting this to be like a major contender in any means for award season will be very disappointed. uh yeah,
0: they they might they might because the the reception isn't that divided, I don't think. Uh, the critical response has been I mean, negative. Yeah, I mean, there has been negativity there. I, I remember um, Emily Yoshida from New York Magazine, um, the, the Vulture, I guess technically, said yeah. it. It's it's a, a a kind of nothing of a film. <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, <laughs>
1: it, well, it feels very slight compared to the favorite. Yeah. especially since I saw them so close to one another. It's, Although it is. It's uh, very weird that Billy Lynn is in both these movies
0: yeah it's it's only a percentage point away from Aquaman it's a sixty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Uh, I see it sixty
0: um oh maybe this is a little outdated, so it, the reviews are still coming in hot, so oh, it's a hit <laughs> <laughs> It's just climbing and climbing, but all right, well, that is everything we're reviewing. This week, it's the holidays. Film releases are a bit all over the place. But next week on Cinemaholics, the current plan for Will and myself is to put out a new episode of the show on schedule. And maybe with that bonus episode we were talking about earlier, covering Welcome to Marwin, Keep Your Ears yeah. Peeled, because that might be happening. And as far as what's coming out next week, the two big releases are On the Basis of Sex, the new film about. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, kind of chronicling her life in a fictional sense, starring Felicity Jones and Armie Hammer. We also have Vice. Uh, this is the new Adam McKay film where Christian Bale portrays Dick Cheney. Reviews are not super hot for Vice right now, so I'm curious to to have a conversation about that film once we once I see it. You've already seen it, Malashian. You're biting your mm-hmm. tongues to give our listeners something to, to wait for. Sure. But there's also Holmes and Watson, which, yes, is coming out. This is the Will Ferrell-John C. Riley comedy that covers uh, kind of a parody of Sherlock Holmes. So no reviews, to my knowledge, have even come out yet about this one, which is not a great sign. But who knows? This could be a bit of a surprise. I hope it is for the holidays and one worth checking out. But we'll talk about that and more next week on Cinemaholics. As always, you can find more uh, episodes of this show on adamtickets.com. You can support us by going on patreon.com slash You can find our social media profiles, Facebook, Twitter, and what have you, and our email. Everything like that is in our show notes. If you like our show and you want to support us uh, in another way, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, wherever you love to listen to podcasts, find us, download us, and uh, support us. We appreciate everything that you all do to help keep the show moving along. Looking forward to ending 2018 on a, I don't want to say a, a high note, depending on what the films are going to be, but I'm sure it's going to be a high note in terms of the conversation. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you all next week from the internet, California. I'm John Negroni.
1: And for the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Walsh.
0: See you next time.